you'd remain standing. Our scripture reading comes from Exodus chapter 18, verses 13 through 24. The next day Moses took his seat to serve as judge for the people, and they stood around him from morning till evening. When his father-in-law saw all that Moses was doing for the people, he said, What is this you are doing for the people? Why do you alone sit as judge, while all these people stand around, your, around you from morning till evening? Moses answered him, Because the people come to me to seek God's will. Whenever they have a dispute, it is brought to me, and I decide between the parties and inform them of God's decrees and laws. Moses' father-in-law replied, What you are doing is not good. You and these people who come to you will only wear yourselves out. The work is too heavy for you. You cannot handle it alone. Listen now to me, and I will give you some advice. And may God be with you. You must be the people's representative before God and bring their disputes to him. Teach them the decrees and laws and show them the way to live and the duties they are to perform. But select capable men from all the people, men who fear God, trustworthy men who hate dishonest gift, gain, and appoint them as officials over hundreds, thousands, hundreds, fifties, and tens. Have them serve as judges for the people at all times, but have them bring every difficult case to you, the simple cases they can decide themselves. That will make your load lighter because they will share it with you. If you do this and God so commands, you will be able to stand the strain and all these people will go home satisfied. Moses listened to his father-in-law and did everything that he had said. The word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. If I can invite you to be seated, please. It's good to be here with you all this morning. I want to thank those of you who are physically here in the worship service for being here. I know it's Labor Day and there's a lot of reasons you could not be here, so thank you. Um, also, I want to share with you all that uh, the next sermon series we're going to be doing is looking at the good news and sharing the good news. And so I'm going to be basing the sermon series off of a book. Uh, if you'd like to read it yourself, um, I'm going to be ordering them, but I'd like to order the number that I need as opposed to guessing and then have a lot of books that are just laying around. Um, so if you'd like one, and I'd encourage you to read it, it's an easy way uh, to think about sharing your faith and about just making the invitation, because uh, data has shown, people have shown, testimonies from people have shown that people get involved and connected with a church because of someone they know. Uh, it's very unusual where it's just the preacher or just the music or something else. Usually it's you uh, talking to people that you know or people that you come in contact with and making that connection. So if you'd like a copy of the book, there is a sign up in the Welcome Center. I put a picture of the book above it, so you'll see it. Um, I know a number of you uh, purchased the electronic, the Kindle version of the book earlier this summer when Amazon was doing a deal. I think it was like $1.99 then. Um, but if you'd like one, it's an easy read. It's a fast read. We'll start it in a couple of weeks. And so I'd encourage you to do so, uh, so that you can uh, reference what I'm talking about. And I promise it'll be sermons. I'm not just going to be giving you all book reports on each chapter. Um, so, because <laughs> I guess there's a danger in doing that as well. Um, well, it's good to be here with you all as we're uh, thinking about and continuing our sermon series as we kind of will shift out of it this week and then next week will be our last Sunday and then we'll shift into evangelism and what that means for us to share our faith and what it means for us to invite people to church. And so uh, for the last five weeks, we've been looking at different board games and we've been seeing how they help to connect us to the gospel of Jesus Christ, how they help to connect us to the scripture. And as we'll see today, it's how they help to connect us to the Old Testament. And so over the past five weeks, we've uh, looked at games like Operation, Connect Four, Candyland, Game of Life, uh, Chess, 
And we've seen how these games get us thinking about our faith. And so this morning we're going to be thinking about a game that really doesn't fit into the mold or into the same box as some of the other games that I've mentioned to you all because it doesn't use a board. And so I guess I shouldn't have included it because it's a game that's arranged on a stable surface. Oh, it's in the back on the altar, so you really can't see it. Um, the pieces are stacked as part of gameplay, and gameplay occurs as each person removes a, a tile or a wooden block from the bottom and places it on the top of the stack without upsetting the tower. And so this morning we're going to be looking at the game Jenga. Jenga, as you know, is a stackable wooden game where I didn't know this, but there are 54 wooden blocks stacked in alternating levels of three. Players sit around the Jenga tower, and each turn you remove a block from the base and stack it on the top. And as the game progresses, the base of the tower is slowly removed piece by piece, and the weight of the tower is travel, um, transferred from lower on the tower to higher up on the tower. And so as the tower increases, you know how it goes. The tower becomes less steady or less sturdy. And depending on whether or not if someone bumps the table that you're playing, it can either get really tall or it can fall pretty quick. As I researched Jenga, as I've done for the rest of these games, I discovered the origin of the official game is attributed to a woman named Leslie Scott who was born in East Africa. In the 1980s, she pat uh, patented this stacking game and she named it Jenga, which is based on a Swahili word that stands that's to build. So that kind of makes sense. Interestingly, Jenga blocks have a specific dimension. The length is exactly three times the width. If you want to go home and measure this, you can. The height of the block is exactly one-fifth the length of the block. And so it's very specific dimensions. And since the 1980s, many different versions of this game have been made. We have large size games that you can play in your yard. There's tabletop sets, there's electronic sets, and I think I found my favorite variant, which was this picture right here of the color-coded Jenga, that apparently you roll a die, has anyone ever played this one? You roll a die and whatever color comes up, you have to take out a block that's that color. So it makes it a little more random, a little harder for you to plan and prepare for your next move because it's, it's more of chance, right? So I thought that one was kind of fun as I was looking about it. But I think Jenga, really, if you think about it, Miss Scott may claim to be the designer, but I think it's probably one of those games that she was just the one that got to the patent office first. Because I think a lot of different cultures, if we were to go and if we were to look at different cultures, different places around the world, don't you think so many of them would have games similar to Jenga? Whether it was stacking blocks or other objects or other things and then taking them out, trying not to, to knock them over or have them fall and, and do things like that. Because it's just something you can do. You can do it with ordinary things. And um, you can do it with just with regular things you find around the house. And so I found this picture. This is the uh, Jenga Guinness Book of World Records. Uh, whoever this was, I think the number was 1,152 Jenga blocks on one. So if anyone wants to go home, I'll loan you my Jenga set, and uh, you can try and beat it. But I want us to think about Jenga and to think about life. And I want to think about what we build, our, play, build our, our lives on and what we build ourselves on. Because things aren't always easy when we take everything on our own shoulders, are they? It doesn't matter what the problem is. It doesn't matter what our problems consist of. The accumulation, if we think about it, can become overbearing. 
And if we carry all of the burdens, if we try to take them all on ourselves, like, like in the game of Jenga, just having all of the burden on just one block or two blocks at the bottom, we might find ourselves getting less and less stable until everything falls over. And when everything gets stable, when things get less stable, and everything falls over, we find ourselves having to pick all the blocks up in order to reset them and in order to get them stacked again. See, friends, if we look at Jenga and if we think about the Christian faith and if we think about what God has done for us and how God has created us, God has created us to be uh, people who do not bear burdens on our own. He didn't order you. He didn't order life. He didn't create you in order for you to walk through life on your own, as we've seen. God created you to be in relationships with other people. And part of that is to share in the burdens that you carry, to share the load, and to go through life's journey with you. And I think it's appropriate that if we look at the Old Testament to think about this, to see that it's not just something that, that we know about or that we've learned about because of Jesus. But look at the Old Testament. You know, you can go to the book of Genesis, the very beginning, Genesis 2 where God has created and God sees that, that Adam should not be alone, that because of all of the animals that God has created, Adam has named them all. Addison, Adam has seen, I just said Addison. Um, I, I say that a lot. Okay. Um, but so God is, has named them all, and then God looks at, at Adam and says, I need to find someone to be with you, a companion. And so it says that the Lord God said, it is not good for man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. And so the creation wasn't finalized with Adam. It wasn't finished with him because God knew that it needed to be completed because Adam needed to be in relationship. Because God knew that Adam could not just be in relationship with him. Because I think that God knew what was going to happen. If you think about Genesis 2 and then if you think about Genesis 3, which is the fall, when Adam and Eve ate the fruit and when all of those things happened that we know about, um, I think God knew that, that what was going to happen in terms of the fruit. I think God knew that Adam would go to that place and Adam would uh, partake of the fruit that he wasn't supposed to eat. And so I think God knew that he needed someone, especially through that, not just through the good times, but also through that time of trial. Don't you think? Because God knew. He knew that Adam and Eve would discover sin. He did not intend for them to live life alone, and God did not intend for either of them to live life alone. He intended for them to be together. Just as God intends for us to be partners and helpers who are connected to and with each other. And so this morning, I think, is another great illustration of this. And it's not the only illustration of this that you can get from the book of Exodus as I think about it. In the book of Exodus 18, I think we see the importance of someone who recognizes the need to share burdens and not to live life alone. As the leader of Israel, God has charged Moses with this job, right? God met Moses in the burning bush, and he said, I want you to do two things. I want you to go to my people in Egypt, and I want you to stand before Pharaoh, and I want you to tell Pharaoh that my people need to go so that they can go to the wilderness and, and worship me. And so Moses went, and Moses leads the people of Israel out of Egypt. And as he leads the people, and as they've gone through the different trials, as they've crossed the Red Sea, as they've defeated other nations, as they've faced other challenges, as things have come up, what Moses has done is Moses has done what you and I always do. And that's when other challenges come or when other responsibilities come. What do we do? Most of us just take them on ourselves. And we just add them to what we're already carrying, whether we do that intentionally or not. And so that's Moses' story, isn't it? 
As he leads the people, he slowly and gradually accepts and takes on more things on himself. And it took a different set of eyes to help him see that he needed help. And so Jethro is the father of Moses. He was also a priest of Midian. Midian, we know, was the neighboring country that Moses fled to after he had killed the Egyptian who was beating uh, the Hebrew slaves. And so Moses had sent his wife Zipporah and his two sons to his father-in-law's house when he knew that he was going to be going to Egypt, when he knew that he was going to be leading the people of Israel out of the land. He sent them away so that they could be safe and and, you know, and so once Israel got out of Egypt, it came time for his family to rejoin him. And so in our scripture today, uh, Jethro has, has caught up with Moses. He's caught up with Israel. They're somewhere outside the wilderness around Mount Sinai. And they catch up with them. And there Jethro stays with Moses for a period of time before he sets out to return home. And as Jethro stays in the camp of the Israel, we read the scripture that we read this morning. And what did it say? It said, from morning till dusk, Moses got up, he sat in the judgment seat, and he had people surrounding him from the beginning of the day till the end of the day. And so they'd come to him with problems. They'd come to him with questions. They'd come to him with conflict. They'd bring their important issues to him. But they also brought issues to him that in all likelihood were not worth his attention, right? I mean, parents, how often do you have issues brought to you that your children bring to you that uh, are not really worth your time or your attention? And then there's others that are significant that, of course, you want to deal with. And, and I think this is the same thing for Moses. And so after watching Moses through an entire day, Jethro asks him, what are you doing? What are you doing for this people? Why do you sit as a judge while all these people stand around you from morning till evening? What are you doing? You see, Moses is going to the judgment seat where he sits. He's judging all day. He's settling disputes. He's making decisions. He's discerning what God's will and God's decrees are for the people and the conflicts that they have and the decisions that need to be made. He's listening to important issues as well as trivial things. He's spending all of his time as judge. And because he's spending all of his time as judge, he's not spending any time as prophet or as leader of Israel. Because Moses has taken it all on himself. All of the trials, all of the challenges, all of the weight of the conflict between the people, and Jethro sees what he's doing, and he sees the burdens that Moses is taking on, And he sees it as unsustainable. And so he tells him. But see, friends, I think this is one of the hardest things for leaders and and really any of us to do. Is to let go of what we know we need to let go of. And allow others to lead. Or allow others to share in the burden or share in the responsibility. Because you know what happens when you let other people be responsible. It means that that you have to let go of control. It means that sometimes we let go of creativity. It means that sometimes we, we don't have final say in what happens. It doesn't mean just letting go and giving up. But what it means is trusting others to do the job that God has created them to do. I think it'd be easy for us to, to just look at Moses and be hard on him in this. I think we need to be fair to Moses. I think that uh, I don't think he sought to have everything in Israel go through him. I don't think he initially thought of himself 
in needing to claim all of the burdens of the people, in needing to make all of the decisions. And so what I think is as he led Israel from Egypt, as he led them from the wilderness, as they faced things like, you know, uh, making a camp in a place that didn't have water or, or deciding where certain tribes or, or family groups were to camp and, and do all of those things, I think more and more burdens just came to him. And as they came, he just did them. And that's easy for us to do too. And I don't think that's just in the church, that's in life, that's in our jobs, that's in our homes, that's everywhere. Because we don't choose to, to take all the burdens on ourselves. And we have to share the load because God has equipped us to be in connection with each other. Now here's where I think we can give Moses credit. You know, we should give him credit for being willing when Jethro came to him he was willing to look at himself critically and to say, you know, I think you're right. When Jethro made these decisions to him. I think his reaction, what could his reaction have been? What would your reaction have been? It could have been easily to get frustrated. He could have easily pulled back. He could have uh, reached out and tried to grasp even more responsibilities. But he reacted in the right way, and I think that's something that we can see from him. As he agreed. He didn't argue. He didn't get frustrated. He heard the words of Jethro, and he saw the potential in allowing himself to become freed from more and more of the daily things and the burdens in order for him to be more and more of the leader that God needed him to be, in order for him to be more and more of the person that God wanted him to be. Because Moses realized he couldn't be everything if he allowed himself to be focused and spending all of his time and all of his injury in energy in just doing one thing. Folks, God wants us to be like that. Except the nice thing for us when it comes to our burdens is he doesn't expect us to carry them ourselves and he doesn't expect us just to give them to other people. Because he knows that our temptation is to hold on to everything. He knows that the temptation that we have to, to carry ourselves everything ourselves, he knows that our gut reaction when things get out of control if you're not someone who runs completely from things when they get out of control, most of us, our gut reaction then is to grab even more, isn't it? Because if things aren't in control, well then at least we'll put them into control and whatever control means for us. Because he knows our temptation is to hold on to everything. And he knows that in our own lives, we're kind of like a Jenga set. Where we have the foundation and we keep taking blocks out of the bottom and placing more of them on top. And most of the time when we do this, we can justify it. We can explain it. We can say how it makes sense. And probably to everyone else, it makes sense too. Except at some point, there's a chance that we're going to fall. And here's where we have Jesus. See, friends, because we have been given the opportunity to give Jesus these burdens that we carry, to allow him to take from us the responsibilities that we have, the leadership that we need to do, the things that are before us, because he invites us to do that with him. To take from us the weight that we carry on ourselves, for that to happen, we have to, to have the humility to let go. And we don't have to carry it on our own, and man, thank God for that. But we have to let him take our burdens. And part of taking our burdens means seeking the guidance of the Holy Spirit. And while we seek the guidance of the Holy Spirit, we have to be willing to, to let it go. 
Because we can't cling to the same things that, that we're asking Jesus to take from us or to fix. We can't fight to stay on the same path and saying, Lord, guide me, and we're you know, bullheaded and going straight down the same path, and Jesus keeps saying, take a right, take a right, take a right, you know. If the Spirit's going to guide us, we have to let go. We have to claim Jesus, and we have to own him as the even greater way to anything that we can have or can do in this world. We have to rely on him in an even greater capacity for what's before us. And the sacrifice that Jesus made is what allows us and invites us to leave our burdens at the foot of the cross because he is the only one who has taken the weight of the world on his shoulders. He's the only one, the only God who gives us life through death. Matthew eleven twenty eight through 29 says, Come to me, all who are wearied and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Friends, we don't have to carry the burdens anymore. You don't have to bear the weight by yourself. You can cast your burden on Jesus and exchange the weight that you carry for the life that he offers. And for that, we can be thankful. Friends, you're invited this morning to share in Holy Communion where we receive the gift that God offers us through his son, Jesus. Because we know when he gathered with the disciples, he offered them bread and juice, and he told them that it was his body and his blood. And then he shared it with them. And in sharing it with them, he also shared it with us, his people. As he said that every time we gather together, we experience his grace, we receive his forgiveness, and we as the body of Christ are brought together. So if I could invite you to bow with me now as we pray over these gifts. God, we give you thanks today for the gifts of your son, Jesus, for the life that he offered for the love that he shared and for the way that he took upon himself all of the burdens of the world. God, we're grateful that he gives us that invitation to give to him our burdens, our uncertainties, the weight that we carry. And in return, we receive him, his love, his grace, his guidance, and his strength. And so, Lord, as we gather here today, we pray that you would prepare our hearts to receive this gift of bread and this juice. We pray that as we do so, you would help us to set aside those things that we cling to and that we carry, and that in exchange, we would receive you, the gift of you and your Son. God, as we share in this meal, we pray that your Holy Spirit would fill us. That you would bless us. And that you would give us the gift of your Spirit. So that we would live in an even greater way for you. And so it's your Spirit that we invite to pour among us now. 
and on these gifts of bread and juice, that you would make them be for us the body and blood of your Son, Jesus, who is the Christ. Amen.